What happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. A wild overtime victory for the Arizona Cardinals over the Las Vegas Raiders. 29-23, the Cardinals are now 1-1, getting their first road win of the year. Welcome into Morning Scramble, presented by Verizon. We've got our morning coffees for Victory Monday to help wake us up. So cheers to those of you. There you go, Craig. Cheers. For watching us live on Twitter right now, make sure you leave us a comment or question down below. Q McCorvey Jr., our social media specialist, Craig Grealu, filling in for Jody Jackson. I'm Danny Sarek. We will look at those comments or questions you have and try to get to them. There's a lot to talk about, about this game. It felt like two different games, to be quite honest. However, first, Q, you were the only member that traveled with our team and our media department that was up in the press box the last five minutes in the fourth quarter in overtime. Everyone else was down on the field. I know you couldn't leave your post because running social media in case something happened. And in the press box, you can't even cheer. How are you handling everything that was happening and how are you moving your fingers that quickly to tweet and post on social media? Yeah, Danny, it was kind of like a whirlwind. Um, in the press box, you can't cheer, so it's really silent, like excitement. Um, I did get up and pace for a little bit there. Like you said, I, you looked up in the press box and I was the only one standing and pacing, which is kind of frowned upon. But um, it was ridiculous. I mean, you guys saw the overtime uh, tweet. I literally just I couldn't get words out physically. And I really like I was just I typed any key that I could find on the keyboard. So um, it was exciting and Having to keep in that much excitement when you're a, a passionate fan like that, it was ridiculous. But but the team did it, so had to tweet it out for our fans. Craig, where were you watching the game? What was going through your mind? I have a different perspective because we're in studio for road games. So what I do is what I always encourage every fan to do is you watch on TV, but you turn the sound down and you listen to Pash Wolfley and Paul Calvisi. Well, on the road... There is a significant delay between what Passion and Wolf are talking about and what I see on television. So I hear it before I see it. So yeah, in the studio, there are a number of emotions and the swings back and forth that entire game, but specifically the last fourth quarter. So I was celebrating before anyone else in the entire building at uh, 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station where we were. So that, yeah, that was a very different perspective. And before we move on real quick, shout out to Pash and Wolf for that call. Probably the best call I've ever heard. Um, I keep playing the video that we posted. I get chills every single time from Pash's game-winning call. And also go on Twitter, Jim Mahondro, our technical director here with the Arizona Cardinals, had a great video of Passion Wolf. I won't even call it a high five because I don't think they made any Any contact contact whatsoever. Their elbows did. (laughs) Their elbows made contact, but it was nothing, no no five of that high five. Yeah, that it was, it was great all around, not just by the team, but also our media department and the coverage as well. Uh, let's get into our first topic here on Morning Scramble. We're going to start with the main dish. Normally, I like to start with like a starter, but we just can't do that. There's no time for any of those like extra hash browns or pancakes to share to get started. That would be the first half. You just that- toss that aside. <laughs> Toss it to the you side. Can't toss the hash browns aside, though. All those first thirty minutes. <laughs> We're going to start with the main dish, an overview of the game, and it was a tale of two halves. Although it was really two, or yeah, two and a half quarters. Really, tale of three quarters and one quarter. The way that the Cardinals play, they looked like two different teams. Craig, I'm going to read you some some stats. Okay, first half, the Raiders, 38 plays. 253 total net yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. The Cardinals, 19 plays, 86 yards, zero touchdowns. Second half, including overtime, Raiders, 71 total net yards, zero touchdowns. 
The Cardinals, 327 yards and four touchdowns. How were the Cardinals able to flip that switch in that game? That was the big question everyone was asking post-game because it was, in a word, amazing on what that team was able to do specifically on defense. I know Kyler Murray gets a lot of the talk about what happened, but I keep going back to the defense, Danny, just on what they were able to do to give the offense the opportunity to get back in that ball game. But we always hear about halftime adjustments. Sometimes it's cliche, but I do think that there were some adjustments made and then executed by the players in that second half because it was a complete flip of the script. And you don't see that often, rarely, in the National Football League. But how were they able to do it? You just look at the film, right? Execution. I mean, the coach is pulling it out, and the players go out and do it. We have a question for you, Craig, on Twitter. Those of you watching on the live stream, feel free to go to the Cardinals channel at AZ Cardinals. We've got the live stream going. Leave a comment or a question. This comes from David Shoup. He wants to know, Craig, does this type of win change the trajectory of this season? It does in this respect only as far as the difference between starting a season 0-2 versus 1-1. and And the numbers bear it out. You start 0-2, your chances of making the postseason, 11%. 1-1, number jumps up to 42%. So you have to be able to build upon this. And I don't believe in the, well, this can carry over. Each week is its own week. But you now have a good feeling that if you listen and pay attention during the week and then go out and do what the coaches have told you to do, asked you to do, now you can see the benefits of that progress and that production on the football field. So I do think it can. Of course, we'll have to wait and see if that materializes. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, going into week three, I mean, we have the Rams. I mean, we go into Rams week 0-2. Fans aren't happy. Team's not excited. And the passion that we saw at the end of the game, I think, is lost. And then... We go into week three, and who knows what happens. Like you said, every week is different. you got to go out and execute. But going out 0-2 against your division rival, 0-2, it's not going to look pretty. Yeah, 1-1 one one is definitely better than 0-2 and, and getting that start to the season. Let's go into That's My Jam. This is a key play of the game, a turning point for a game like this, really, and how the Cardinals were able to flip that switch. Craig, what was your That's My Jam from Sunday's game? It's good when you can have a lot of different – Jams, if you will, and depending on what flavor of jam you like. I'm uh, a grape guy. Grape guy? Grape. Okay, let's keep it basic. Marmalade. I could do grape, or maybe a little strawberry. Okay. I like strawberry right. jam. Well, whatever flavor this is, for me, this is my jam, and it comes in the fourth quarter, fourth and four. The Cardinals at this point are trailing 23 to seven, so every play matters, every down counts, but it's the Hollywood Brown one handed grab while he's getting interfered with. And nearly coming down with the touchdown. Comes up just short. They were able to punch it in. Darrell Williams with a one-yard touchdown run. But you don't convert that fourth and four. This game is done. And I don't mind the play call. You're being aggressive. But it's that quarterback-wide receiver connection that we have always talked about. And we finally saw it in week two. Kyler Murray to Hollywood Brown. So for me, that was my jam being able to convert a huge fourth and four. Yeah, Hollywood Brown, was he only had four catches on the six targets in week one. There really wasn't that spark that we were hoping for, that college connection, those OU teammates between him and Kyler Murray. On Sunday's game, Hollywood Brown, six receptions, 68 yards, his longest being 24 on 11 targets. That was a little more of what we were wanting to see between the two of them, Q. Yeah, definitely. And then going off of that, I mean, he made that catch, no reaction. That's what they were brought together to do they knew exactly what 
they were meant to do. And Hollywood showed that he's Hollywood Brown and made that spectacular catch. My jam is Kyler Murray's two point conversion. Um, I don't. Everyone knows it was probably the craziest play we've seen from Kyler Murray in a very long time. Um, Twenty one seconds that he took ran 80, 84.9 yeah. yards. Let's round it up. Call it 85, 85 yards. yards. Kyler Murray ran 85 yards on a two-point conversion. Um, the most distance traveled by an offensive ball carrier on a two-point conversion. I think by a lot because I don't can't imagine anyone taking anywhere near as many yards for a two-point conversion. But that really sets up the entire rest of the game. We don't convert that two-point conversion. It's a two-possession game. So, I mean, Kyler directed a symphony in the backfield while avoiding three pass rushers and still was able to come up with a uh, two-point conversion. And he had some NFL history that was part of it, right, Q? Uh, that play? Yes. So, yeah. I mean, I was going to talk about that later, but Kyle Murray is the first ever player to have a passing touchdown, rushing touchdown, two-point conversion run, and a two-point conversion pass. So Crazy. Absolutely ridiculous. He did everything that it took to get us in that game. Offensive lineman Justin Pugh talking in the locker room post game was asked about that. And that's a, that's a question that comes up quite often when you're blocking for Kyler Murray is his ability to scramble and making sure that he's got that time and that space. And he was funny, he just kind of like chuckled and said, you know, we're just trying to keep turning around and see where he's going and how can we keep him clean? How can we give him that time? 21 seconds, Craig. That is insane. And yes, of course, props to Kyler Murray, but the offensive line and the offensive line who went up and held Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. Now, of course, they had their few sparks, but held them and, and neutralized them. I mean, great job by the offensive line as well. And on that play specifically, you have to be careful as an offensive lineman not to find yourself moving downfield. And all of a sudden, now you got an ineligible man downfield and that play gets nullified. And you see when you watch it on replay, specifically on the right side, whether it's Kelvin Beecham or Will Hernandez, they're all backpedaling and there's literally no one around them. And they're just kind of hands up like, I'm not doing anything. I'm kind of <laughs> still near the line of scrimmage and I'm looking back to make sure where Kyler Murray is to make sure that you do not find yourself drifting downfield because that's just kind of the natural progression of a play. So yeah, I thought the offensive line did a great job making sure that Max Crosby and Chandler Jones did not get their hands on Kyler Murray. Now, he was sacked once, two other times, but nullified because of a penalty. But overall, you got to be able to protect number one. Yeah, and that's what I said last week. The offensive line has to look in the mirror and see what they can do to step up this game. And, and this really the whole game, it wasn't really just the second half. The offensive line showed that they're able to protect Kyle Murray. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of that, too, comes from having starting left guard Justin Pugh, who missed that first game with the next thing, or having him back in the lineup and having that consistency there. My that's my jam. We're going to go to the defense, and it was the first three and out in the second half. Vegas comes up two yards short. They punt on the fourth down, and that just completely set the tone for the defense going into that second half. And and the Cardinals go on to score on the following drive. That was a touchdown by Greg Dortch to get on the board for the first time in the game. And J.J. Watt even talked about it postgame, how big that was for the defense and, and the team as a whole. Of It's one thing to go into the locker room at halftime and talk about the adjustments that need to be made. But to go out and start the second half doing those adjustments physically and mentally did so much for this team. And so that was my that's my jam is, it you know, there were a lot of splash plays but you have to look at those as well, the three and outs that lead up to those of not only the timing and you know getting the defense off the field, letting Kyler Murray go out there and do his thing, but just the mental aspect as well. Yeah, so that was that's my job. Definitely. I mean, you the Raiders ran up and down the field on this last or the first half. So 
mentally that does a lot for a team when you can see this team continue running down your throat, passing the ball, Derek Carr completing all this check down passes and short passes, and then you get a stop on the first drive, and it's like, we can do this. Like We can stop this team. It was just too easy in that first half. Yeah, exactly. Four possessions, four touchdowns, or four scores. That's you, you can't have that happen, and this is two weeks now in a row. So you hope that whatever happened at halftime and into the third quarter, fourth quarter, and overtime, now that becomes what we expect out of this defense. Right, and that's what's impressive, too, is the Cardinals coming off the, the loss the way that they did in Week 1 against Kansas City. So you didn't start the game against the Raiders looking much different. So to make that switch mid-game as opposed to – you get through a whole second game looking the same way you did in week one against the Kansas City Chiefs. They made that switch mid-game, which I think, too, goes a lot to that mentality. Let's get into Rise and Shined. This is a player of the game. Q, I know you were very excited. Before we had even left the stadium in Vegas, you looked at me and you said, Dibs. I called Dibs. Who's your player of the game? Who's your Rise and Shined? My Rising player or Rise and Shined player, and it's not because everybody says I look like him, and I swear. Who says that? Literally everyone. <laughs> I will vouch for that, Craig. Literally everyone. everyone. <laughs> Kyler Murray. Oh, my gosh. And everyone, all my followers agree. All the Arizona Cardinals followers agree. Um, Kyler Murray, that's why you pay him. Kyler Murray, that's why you pay him. Uh, last week I said Kyler showed a different energy last week when we were down and coming back and scoring the two, three touchdowns at the end of the game last week. And a lot different from our playoff game against the Rams, um, where we pretty much felt very defeated and it was kind of over, game over. Um, down 20 points, Kyler, like I said before, put everything on the line, put his body on the line um, to win this game for us. Um, and the defense came back up and showed why. Um, yesterday um, marked the first time in NFL history the team scored the game-tying two-point conversion on the final two plays and won in overtime. Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray did it all. I like what he had to say post game when he was asked about his mindset in that second half, and he just simply said, "quote I had to take over," and that's exactly what he did yeah. in that second half, taking over and coming back from a twenty point deficit. So yeah, that's why you drafted Kyler Murray. That's why you paid Kyler Murray for plays and games and performances like that. Kyler Murray led an eighteen play drive and a must must convert eighteen plays. Yeah, he made sure to get the job done, too, not just with his arm, but with his legs as well. Yeah. Craig, rise and shined. Well, for those that are frequent viewers and listeners here on Morning Scramble, I kind of go outside the box. So I don't have a player because I just think there of were course you too don't. many. Of course you don't, Craig, because that's what we asked for, so you can't give <laughs> us that. That would be I, I, too completely easy. Completely outside of the box. I had to go with defensive coordinator Vance Joseph because he's received a lot of heat. I think a lot of it is just the talent he has to work with. There's not a lot of depth at all three levels of that defense, but what he was able to do and his coaching staff, and obviously it comes down to the players, but just the numbers between the first half to the second half. The Raiders scored 20. They were held to three in the second half in overtime. The Raiders had 20 less plays run in the second half compared to the first half and held to just 48 total net yards in the second half. They had 258 in the first half. So a night and day difference defensively. Kyler Murray's going to get all the headlines and well-deserved. But I always go back to the defense because Kyler Murray can't do what he does 
if the defense does not get stops and keeps the Raiders off the scoreboard. So big picture for me, yeah, individually, Byron Murphy, Isaiah Simmons, J.J. Watt, a number of different players. But who's the head of that group? That's Vance Joseph. So he's my rise and shine coach of the game. We we talk about J.J. Watt all the time, and deservingly so. He missed week one with that calf injury. He was back in week two, and I got a chance to talk to owner Michael Bidwell before the game who talked with J.J. Watt saying he was mentally locked in. We heard Zach Allen last week before this game against the Raiders how Watt is the glue of that defense. So not only him being out on the field and what he brings there, Craig, but how much do you think that switch of the defense, the difference between week one and week two, comes from having J.J. Watt out there? You saw second play of the game. He beat the left tackle and gets the sack, and it was... Vintage J.J. Watt. He looked 100%. Now, did he do anything after that? Well, now all of a sudden he's noticed and it allows a Zach Allen or someone else on that defensive line or that second level to do their job. So the presence of 99 alone, I think, can do wonders for this team. Remember a year ago, seven games J.J. Watt played in the regular season. 7-0. Exactly. J.J. Watt played one game this year. numbers-wise... He might not do a lot, but you have to account for J.J. Watt being on the football field. J.J. Watt's undefeated in the regular season as an Arizona Cardinal. Good point. Wow, that's right. That is right. That's pretty impressive going back to last year. Okay, my rise and shined. I got to go with cornerback Byron Murphy. He went up against wide receiver Devontae Adams, five-time Pro Bowl, two-time All-Pro wide receiver, who in his Raiders debut in Week 1 against the Chargers, 17 targets. He had 141 yards and a touchdown. Against the Cardinals on Sunday, seven targets, two receptions, 12 yards, and a touchdown. And not only that, you got to look at that game-winning scoop and score. It was Raiders wide receiver Hunter Renfro. He broke a tackle, and it was linebacker Isaiah Simmons with that great tackle, forced the fumble. Murphy scoops it up, takes it to the house for 59 yards, making it the longest overtime fumble return touchdown in NFL history insane the way that that sideline reacted go check out az cardinals all social media platforms because we had so many different looks on that just was so incredible to see the way that they came back end of the game and that passion that q touched on earlier from the team incredible so while my rise and shine player is byron murphy who had a great game somebody a player who you're also we talk about dj humphreys who already got paid kyler murray who already got paid and while byron murphy byron murphy has not in a contract year he's now playing like you would expect him to play. We do have to give props, though, to linebacker Isaiah Simmons, not only for that tackle. We learned post-game from head coach Cliff Kingsbury that coming off week one, Simmons knew he was going to have more of a limited role this week. He played 15 of 67 snaps, the fewest snaps since his rookie year in 2020. He did get a shout-out in that post-game locker room speech by Kingsbury, saying Simmons worked hard in practice, even though he already knew his role was going to look a little different. Worked hard in practice, did his job out on the field, still made an impact. And to come off a week where you have the speaker in your helmet, you're calling the defense, Craig, playing as many snaps as he had these last few years, says a lot about Simmons and I think the growth and maturity in him to still go out there knowing your role is going to be that limited and still make that much of a difference. Well, now we know what the coaching staff was talking about when they referenced practice habits after week one. And without saying as much, Isaiah Simmons, you need to practice better. If you don't practice better, you're not going to play. A first-round draft pick after having that green dot in week one was benched in week two. And to his credit, he didn't sulk. 
He stood on that sideline, stone-faced. He, heck, he was even stone-faced at the end of the ball game. Guys were trying to celebrate with him, and he had no reaction on his face. Yeah. Now, if that's what it takes to get him back to being Isaiah Simmons, I'm perfectly fine with that. But yeah, making sure that you are still engaged, and when your number is called and told, hey, get on that football field, go make a play, Simmons did. Yeah. So a credit to him, yet at the same time, it does serve as an example to everyone else, offense or defense. What you do Monday through Saturday affects what you happens on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, like you said he played 15 plays, and one of those 15 was the play of the game. So Isaiah Simmons is Isaiah Simmons. Like you said, you got to practice like you want to, and that's what it worked. Okay, let's bring home the bacon. I'm sorry, I'm going to take charge. I didn't even ask you guys <laughs> yeah. if you wanted to bring home the bacon today because I know what I want to talk about. So I'm in charge, and that means I get to bring home Aren't the bacon. Aren't you always, in, always I, in charge? But you no guys, one ever put her in charge. I love it's that true. you guys. <laughs> it's true. I love that you guys know that I'm always in charge. Correct. Should we just this, take over this show for this ourselves? This is not a democracy. This? No, 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 no. This is a dictatorship. I'm going to have our producer Jacob Ortiz in the back shut down your mics real quick. It's my time. My turn. I'm going to bring home the bacon. Just kind of wrapping up the game and just kind of a a different topic. And we touched on it a little, but just the mentality to stay in this game. The the Chiefs, that game really got away from the Cardinals. Even tight end Zach Ertz after that game was saying, you know, at one point they knew that they weren't going to be able to come back, but he was still out there even on a pitch count because he wanted to work on that chemistry with Kyler Murray, even though they knew that they were out of the game by that point. This was something that I brought up last week. I brought it up with you, Craig, on a Cover 2 podcast of wanting to see the mentality of the Cardinals and their ability that when they are down to come back. Coming off from last year, that playoff game against the Rams, we didn't see it there. We didn't see it week one against the Chiefs. The Cardinals were down 20 to nothing at halftime. Before yesterday, franchise record, 0-88-1 in games trailing by 20 or more points at halftime to mentally stay in this game, to recognize the points that need to be adjusted at halftime, to go out and actually put actions to those words, to believe in yourself, believe in this team, and come back with an incredible win in overtime says a lot about this team. J.J. Watt talked about that in the locker room postgame as well, saying that this is a game you learn a lot about yourself as a team and your ability to hold yourself accountable and make those adjustments. And I think for a team that had such a great start last year, and then when they started losing, it kind of spiraled. So I think to be one and one, but to have this win be the type of win that it was and to come back the way that they did, I think does a lot for this team moving forward, which was that question to you early on in the show, Craig, about the trajectory of this season because of a win like this. Well said, Danny, but I'll add to this. Let's hope it never happens again. (laughs) They've shown that they can do it. But you need to get off to a better start in the first half on each side of the line of scrimmage because you can't rely. Yeah, you've proven you can do it, but you can't rely on that week in and week out. Definitely agree. I mean, I don't mind if they have to do it again, (laughs) if they have to, but let's not get to that point and really show. I mean, you really show the nation that this is not the Arizona Cardinals that you guys have been talking about. Um, week one, we got a lot of flack or slack in the media um, about this team and what they were and weren't able to do. And I think this team showed resiliency and they showed bounce back and they showed that this Arizona Cardinals team is something to be scared of. We re- we react based off what we see week to week, and if people, coaches, players don't like what is written or said, then change the narrative. They have that ability. We don't. 
maybe in 10 weeks from now, we look back at this and think differently. But we only are able to do our jobs based off what the team does on the football field. So people can get upset in that locker room about what is written and said. That's on them. And Dennis Gardeck postgame after week one mentioned about everyone needing to look in the mirror and figure out where they want to go. Kyler Murray brought it up on that Wednesday. Do you want to be here? Do you want to be great? And did those questions get answered? Week two, they did. Now you got to continue for the rest of the regular season. And that continues week three, hosting the 101 Los Angeles Rams, the reigning Super Bowl champs who are coming off a 31-27 victory over the Atlanta Falcons. It's a 125 kickoff from State Farm Stadium. Not looking too in-depth. Craig, but just this matchup. I mean, what what intrigues you? Because this Rams team has already looked a little different than last year. They still have some familiar, very familiar faces, players, and I will always go back, regardless of how that first matchup went in week four last year with the Rams. Aaron Donald, you have to be able to limit him, slow him down. You're not going to completely render him invisible. But you have to be able to make sure that he does not wreck you. And he wrecked Kyler Murray in two of those games last season, including the playoffs. So that's always been the hurdle for this team is the Rams, regardless of who the head coach has been. But it always, to me, comes back down to 99. And unfortunately, he did not retire this past offseason. Thought about it. They put the paperwork in. And uh, Cooper Cup coming off that triple crown season. That's another play on the other side of the ball that you know that this Cardinals defense is going to be focused on this week in yeah. practice. I mean, and it's again, going back to this week, it showed we could stop the heavy pass rushes. The, probably the best, du- one of the best duos in the league, uh, and Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. And then Byron Murphy shutting down Devontae Adams. I mean, that's what we need to build on this week and show that we can shut down Cooper Cup and shut down Aaron Donald. And something that'll be interesting, too, is some of these players who are still injured, who are not on IR, which puts you out for a minimum of four games, who's able to come back? Looking at Cooper Cup is Trayvon Mullen, who the Cardinals recently acquired, who hasn't played with a toe injury. Is he able to come back and give you some of that cornerback depth that this team has been missing, which has had them to adjust the way they use their safeties in Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson, star backer Isaiah Simmons? Are you able to get wide receiver Rondell Moore, who's been dealing with a hamstring, back out there? That Those could be big difference makers for this team. True, but I like what Jace Whitaker has given this team, and he played very he – play, one, he played a lot yeah. on Sunday and played well. And then Greg Dortch, with his first career touchdown, he's playing the, the role and those snaps that would have been given to Rondell Moore, and that's what you like when you don't have your starter who's the backup, who's next – and for those two players in particular, have really stepped up with their number has been called. You certainly would like to have a Trayvon Mullen, a Rondell Moore. But if not, I think those two players and Whitaker and Dortch showed, and Dortch has done it the entire preseason, but those two players specifically in game action with the lights on show that they are more than capable and willing and ready to perform. Which is great because one of our biggest questions is depth. And having a guy like Jace to back up Trayvon Mullen when Trayvon Mullen does come back. And a guy like Greg Dortch, who, like I said, first career touchdown, many more to come. But, I mean, Dortch was really the spark of this game. That first touchdown, I mean, that puts us, hey, we're down 13. What are we down, 23? Um, so it really just does show that we have the depth there and that they can step up when needed to. I know you guys were joking that I'm in charge and giving me a little flack for that, but I'm going to be nice in charge. We've got one minute left. 
So I'm going to allow you two to bring home one piece of bacon. If there is any topic from this game, since I took over the bring home the bacon topic, uh, you guys got about like 30 seconds. If there's anything else you want to touch on. That's so, nice of so me. So basically you're giving us scraps. Is, is yes. that what you're telling us? Yeah. You're wasting your time, Craig. You get the leftovers. Get the leftovers. Okay. What do you got for us, Q? This team's going to be all right. <laughs> I said that week <laughs> said one. That week one. This team's going to be all right. They showed the passion. They showed the heart. Um, in the first half, it wasn't pretty. But, I mean, I guess I'm, to me, that's our preseason. Those first six quarters, seven quarters, it's out the way. Got the dust off. This team's going to be all right. Anything? I'll like? let go that. Oh, I like that, too. Guys, thanks so much for joining us on Morning Scramble presented by Verizon. Like always, coverage all week long. Finishing up covering this game, looking ahead to the Rams, azcardinals.com, our social media channels, our YouTube channel, podcasts, articles, videos, whatever you want, we've got it. For Craig Grelu, Q McCorvey Jr., I'm Danny Sarek. We'll see you all right here next week.